Good morning, Lifehouse family. How's everyone doing today? So good to see everybody. So, so glad that you are here at our 1030 service. If you are a first-time guest, man, we just want to say welcome one more time, Lifehouse fam. Please get up for all of our first-time guests. We are seriously honored that you are here. Challenge you. Hey, man, come, come back out. Check us out a couple more times. You never know what is going to happen here at Lifehouse Newport News. So come back. Check us out, man. We have an incredible church church family that we would love to introduce you to. Also, too, we have got coming up our second night of worship, May 20th. Our first night of worship was on New Year's Eve. We had 14 people baptized, uh, 12 babies dedicated. It was an incredible time. It is a time to seriously party and celebrate what God is doing in and through Lifehouse. So if you want to get baptized or if you have a child that you would like to get dedicated, I, I, we, we would love to share in that special time with you. You can sign up for either of, of those for your con convenience through text message at 757-755-4759. So we, we would love to share in that time with you. It's going to be an incredible time. It's literally going to be a party. Like we're going to have a great time celebrating every, everybody's welcome, worship, baby dedications, baptisms, vision, uh, it's just going to be awesome. So please make sure you, you join us May 20th. Invite your friends, family, enemies, frenemies, whatever they are. Bring them out with you. It's going to be a great, great time. So, hey, we are finishing up a sermon series today called Divine Direction. And this series has all been about God's will, right? Like we all want to know what God's will is. We pray for it. God, show me. Please show me what God's will is. And, and typically whenever we ask God for what his will is, it typically involves what he wants us to do rather than who he actually wants us to be. So we can kind of get in this whole mindset of, well, God, do you want me to take this job? God, do you want me to date, dump, be with this person? Or, you know, like, God, what do you want me to do? When, when in reality, God's will is more about the kind of person you are becoming. We said it this way, God's will is more about the who than the Good job, Jacob. You get a star on your chart, buddy. You get a star on your chart. You, you get extra money later. I'm just kidding. Now, who than the do. It's more about who than the do. God is more concerned about who you are becoming more than what you are doing. So what is important to God has got to become important to us. So we have talked about what kind of people are we becoming. The first week we talked about generosity. The second week we talked about anybody rem remember? I'm actually saying that because I don't remember. Uh, what? Faith, that's right. <laughs> when you're up here, you just kind of pray stuff comes into your head. You know, you're like, Lord Jesus, help, help, help me, Lord. Generosity, faith, if you didn't get a chance to, to check those sermons out, you can check those out um, on our podcast on, on iTunes or SoundCloud. Go there, check them out. Past sermons are there. I would highly, highly encourage you to do that. Today's, though, really puts a bow on this series because I really think if we're like, God, where do you, who do you really want us to be? Like, when we are praying, this should be something that we are praying for. When we are doing choices and making decisions, this should be at the, at the forefront. If we're going to move in, 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 the, in the divine direction of who God is, it's got to put us towards the way of love. Everyone say love. Love. If you were to sum up, honestly, the whole Bible, if you were to sum up this whole Christian thing, this whole Jesus thing, if you were to sum it up into almost like one word, I think you could say love. Love. Think about it. Jesus is this great teacher, 
preacher, he, he, he had these Pharisees come up to him. And, and these Pharisees knew the law, knew the Old Testament scripture law. There was actually about 635 commands that the Jewish people were called to follow and live out. And, and these Pharisees came to Jesus and, and they said, hey, if you're going to give us the Cliff Notes version, if you're going to sum all of these 635 laws up, laws about, you know, what, ab- about what you should do, how you should live, how you should treat others, if you were to sum all of this, these 635 laws up in this Old Testament scripture and you were going to give us a Cliff Notes version, how would you say it, Jesus? And Jesus said this. Let me tell you, I'd break it down into two things. Love God and what? Love others. Right as Jesus, he was about to go on his journey to the cross. He's sitting there with his disciples, and he's sitting there washing their, their, their feet, saying, just as I've done for you, do for other people. And he was sitting there, and, and they said, Jesus, how are people going to know that we follow you? He said, people will know that you follow me by your what? Love. By your love. People will know you by your love. I can even think of um, John 3.16, the, the most known verse. Even people that don't love Jesus know John 3.16. Right? Football players, you know, it's like they got to hear, you know, you got signs, John 3.16. For God so what? Loved the world. In other words, in God's very nature, who God is, God is love. So if we're going to say, if we're going to move towards God's will, God's will ultimately isn't who we date or the person we dump, the job we have, the cash that we make. Moving towards God's will is ultimately saying, are we as human beings, as people, moving more in the way of what love is? If you want to say, are you becoming more like Jesus, the question to ask is, are you becoming more of a person that is full of love. Now, I think before we really define, because here's the thing, our world has no idea what the heck love is. We say we love tacos, and I love my wife. I love Chipotle. I love the Jaguars, Jacksonville Jaguars. And I love my son. It's like this word love is just kind of thrown in there for everything. And basically, it's almost like if at this moment I'm feeling the sensation that I like this thing, what, what do we say? Love. I, just, I, I love this place. Yeah, while well, it's serving your need, right? But it's like, so love, it's like what is, like our world has no clue, no baseline definition, no hardcore baseline definition of what love is. But I think we can kind of know what love is by first saying what it isn't, right? Love is not a feeling. It's not just a feeling. I think it can be, but at the same time, love isn't just a feeling. I mean, you know how feelings come and go? Get married. Yeah. <laughs> at times, you're like, I married this? I've never said that about my wife, though. I love you, baby. I'm not sure if you're in here or not, but she does kids ministry now. She does the elementary age. That's why she isn't down, down here now, but she isn't in here. But she's awesome. I've never said that about her. But, you know, but it's like. Just, you know, and, and we just, you know, like if we feel the sensation or stuff like that, yeah, I, I love them. And then the next moment, it's like, no. And we live in that culture, people, relationships now. They'll say, I love you like two weeks in, and then four weeks in, they've moved out. And they're gone. It's like, what happened to love? I thought you loved me. Like we just kind of throw that word love around like it's just whatever. And whenever you do that, you lose the sacredness of it. You lose the, what's the word, exclusivity of it. 
right? That, I mean, that's why, honestly, I didn't tell my wife I loved her until we got engaged. Because I knew, I just don't want to throw that word around. The first time I told her I love you was when I got down on one knee and proposed to her. And when she heard me say that, she, she knew I was being serious. Because I didn't want to play with that word. That word is sacred. I can't just say I love, you know, it's like, so, yes, love is not a feeling. But also love isn't tolerance. You say, hold on. Hold on. Yeah, love isn't tolerance, right? So it's, it's like love actually has boundaries. In this world, it's like you can, if you say to someone you love them, basically what you're saying is I accept everything you do. Everything you do, I'm cool with because I love you. If I said that to my son, I love you, Jackson. I think Jackson's here, isn't he? Hey, Jackson Werebear. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> if I were to tell Jackson, I love you, dude. Play video games till 6 a.m. Dude, I love you. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to impede because I love you. Right? But, but the crazy thing is, is that you can love someone and disagree with them. I know that's not taught on Facebook. <laughs> I know that's not taught a whole lot. But you can actually disagree with somebody and not tolerate what they do. Not tolerate their lifestyle. As in saying, like, you don't agree with it. Does that affect how we love them? No. Why? Because we're called, as Christ followers, we're just not called to love those who love us. We're not called to love those who agree with us. We're not called to love those who just think the way that we think. We can actually disagree, have differing views, and still love them and buy them lunch. We can still sit down and grab coffee. We can still hang out together. It's actually possible. You can actually have a discussion instead of a beat-down argument. But love has boundaries. If I was just texting and calling other girls, just trust me, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be dead. My wife would kill me. Why? Because there is just some things that love doesn't tolerate. Because love in, in many ways is this kind of like exquisite, like I'm, you know. So we have to understand love is not a feeling and it's also not tolerance. But what the heck is love? The Bible has this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It just does an incredible job. This is Paul talking. Paul, he was a, a church planner and an apostle who would go and plant churches and start churches in different places. And then he would write letters to them, instructing them in the, in the Christian faith. And in this, this letter that Paul wrote, he, he started down this whole line of what love truly is. Because I think that the church there was truly confused. The church in Corinth, they were a church that, it, that literally accepted everything. I mean, you just see some of the stuff going on in their church, in, incest going on, like all, like just crazy stuff. And Paul's like, y'all, I got to write y'all a little something, something and let y'all know that ain't cool. Um, in the, in the, you know what, though, at the same time, though, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about what love is so you can know. And Paul writes this incredible chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, and this is the message version. It's a, it, it is basically a different tran translation, a paraphrased version that, that basically breaks down in today's language. And what Eugene Peterson, the translator of this Bible, put as love, I believe, is so beautiful and speaks to us right here and right now and really breaks down for us a baseline of what love 
honestly and truly is. This, this is what Paul says here. He says, if I speak, that's Paul, with eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love. Actually, hold on. Start, start saying. I did this first service. Um, I want us to like as best as we can. I know we're busy. I know you might be thinking about what you're having for lunch. I know you might be thinking about how bad your, your team's draft was in the NFL draft right now. You might be thinking, why didn't you draft this player? Okay, that, that would probably be myself right now, okay? But want as best as you possibly can to block all, 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 and block all of that stuff out and, and, and just focus on the word of God. I believe the word of God has power. I believe if we focus on it, it will focus on us. We should not just read the Bible. We should let it read us, right? So let's, let's, just, let's focus here. And as I read, I want this to sink into your heart, sink into your mind, sink into your soul, and, and let it get in you so we can get a true definition, a true baseline of what love is, all right? 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all of his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have a faith that can move a mountain, then it tells it to jump and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, keeps going to the end. That's powerful, isn't it? And I don't know, if I was to judge myself on love based on that, I'm like, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm like a negative 20. Whenever you read that, it's just like, what in the world? Like, that is, yes, a beautiful definition of what love is. How in the world do we actually get this, though? But I think it's really interesting that it's absolutely insane how Paul says you could literally, I'm, 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 I mean, you could speak so eloquently that even angels are like, that was an amazing sermon. You can have the faith that could see miracles happen, see blind eyes open, deaf people talking. You could, you could see people that are crippled walking now. Like, it's like you could do all of this stuff. You could have prophetic insights. You could even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr. And then Paul says, but if you do all that and you don't have love, you have nothing. Like, how can you do all that stuff and not have love? I think we spell love L-O-V-E, yes, but I think it's also spelled M-O-T-I-V-E. Some of y'all are like, I don't know what that means, says John. It's the word motive. I think ultimately whenever what Paul was ultimately trying to get here, you can do the right things for all the wrong reasons. All the right things you do can be all about you. They can be centered all around you. And what you actually do good things for isn't because you're doing it out of love, but you're actually doing it out of this kind of like need to be noticed. 
here's what I know. I don't care who you are, how popular you are, great you are, strong you are, black, white, whatever, Asian. Like, if you are a human being living and breathing, you have a deep need and desire in your soul, in your spirit to be loved. Okay? Some of y'all flesh it out in different ways. You, you act out wanting to get that love in many different ways, whether it's through sex and relationships, whether it is through personal relationships, whether it is through you getting stuff, whether it is through you attaining money. Like you have this desire to be worth something, to be significant, to be loved. Am I right? All of us have that here. And so... What we end up doing, because we've got this almost like God-like hole in our heart, we end up trying to use finite, ungodlike things to fill a hole that only God can really fill. So what do we end up doing? We end up going through life using and, and really abusing people and stuff to try to fill this need for love that we have. So whether it's, you know what, relationships or, or, or whether it's you working a whole lot or whether it's you trying to find significance, like what, whatever that is that you do to try to fill that love need in your heart, the way that you get it is by using and basically abusing people. But even by doing good things, that's what Paul said here. He said you can do all of these good things for all of the wrong reasons and because it's all about you. I know some, some pastors, they go into ministry just because they want to feel wanted because their whole life they've never felt wanted they're like if I go into if I am a pastor people are going to want to hear me speak and they're going to want want me to counsel them and they're going to want me to do all of these things that people go into and do godlike things for all the wrong reasons why because inside of their heart they want to be loved they want to be significant they want to be somebody so it's not just it can be anything that we do to try to fill this godlike void, this godlike hole in our hearts. So what do we do? We use and abuse people and things to fill a hole that only God was designed to fill. But here's the thing. Whenever you fill that God-sized hole with the person that was meant to fill it, and that was God, and that was God's love, that is God's love, that was shown to us on the cross by Jesus Christ dying in our place and for our sins. It was the guilty guy, it was the guiltless dying for the guilty, the sinless dying for the sinful, it was the perfect one taking the, the imperfect one's place. When we let that love that Jesus poured out for us on the cross fill our hearts, that love fills our deep need. So what does that then do? It then, instead of going through life using and abusing people and things to fill this need, since we've got Jesus filling that need, it's already been met by him. So now we go through, through life, instead of using and abusing, now we're free to serve and love because we have been loved and served by God. Do you get this? Is this, is this making sense? As his love comes and fills our hearts, it frees us to then love and serve others because we don't have this deep need that we need to meet. It frees us. And so many people are bound by just trying to get needs met. Let God meet your need. And as his love fills your heart, it will then overflow into those people around you. I see this list, and I'm like, I will never be able to do this. Like, I will never be able to be this kind of person, especially on my own willpower. 
especially by trying harder. I can read books, go to seminars, watch online how-tos on how to love people better, you know, and all of this stuff. But I think ultimately if we're going to love people like this and become and move in the divine direction of being more of a person built on love, we have to understand that this whole first Corinthians 13 thing isn't just the way that God calls us to love people. It's the way that God ultimately loves us. Get that. It is the way, like, that just doesn't explain to us what God asks and requires us to do. It is the kind of love that God gives to us because God is love. So what I want to do, I want us to read through, 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 through the second part one more time. But I don't want to read it through the lens of this is how I need to love people. Read it through the one lens of this is how God loves you. So think about it as God speaking to you, not you being called to love other people. Got it? Check it out. Love never gives up. You know God never gave up on you. When you gave up on him, he never gave up on you. He loves you. He's passionate for you. And here's the bottom, the bottom line. There is nothing that can separate you from God's love. He will never give up on you. It's crazy, isn't it? Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off of the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trusts God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back. Keeps going to the end. That's the way God loves you. And it's because God loves you that way that it then becomes our fuel that we need then to love other people. Because look, guys, we can't just conjure up this feeling to love people. Like some of y'all might be a little more lovey-dovey just by your personality. But in most of us, this doesn't come natural, especially when it comes to loving people that are deeply unlovable. When it comes to loving people, that, that we just don't have a natural tendency to actually love. So the fuel becomes God loves for us that we then go and love others. Luke chapter 7. Um, Jesus here is a great teacher, preacher, traveling around. And Jesus had this weird tendency. I wouldn't say weird, but he had this, this tendency to hang around people that almost it was almost scandalous to actually hang with because Jesus um, you know he went around and said he was God and, and did all of these great things but then he would hang around tax collectors and tax collectors nowadays you kind of think IRS right think mafia because they had they, they didn't have any government like there was no governing rights over them they could literally go and get money however they needed to for the Roman government. However they needed to get money, they, they got it. Threatening, killing, murdering, whatever they had to do. But Jesus would hang out with these people. Jesus would hang out with scandalous people. Women that had a past, history. His disciples would be like, yo, why is Jesus talking with that girl? Jesus was talking to her, giving her life. 
speaking life, speaking hope. Jesus, scripture says this, that sinners were attracted to him. I find it so interesting. Sinners, they were attracted to Jesus. Why aren't they attracted to the church? Is it because the church has gotten away from who Jesus really was? I think it's probably the actual point there. But Jesus is, in Luke chapter 7 here, worship team, I don't know who's, who's coming up. Y'all can go ahead and come on up. Um, Luke chapter 7, Jesus is kind of like here, and he, went, he, goes to this, to, he, 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 he goes to this Pharisee's house, which I find it funny. He was always in conflict with the Pharisees, but he still hung out with them. I think you can actually disagree with people and still hang out with them. <laughs> Ain't that crazy? The people Jesus was most in, in conflict with, he still went to their house to have food. Crazy. But Jesus here in Luke 7, we're going to read this story. Go ahead and put it up. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, how would you love to be that woman? Like you're the woman that's known, the woman who had that sinful life. Kind of crazy, huh? How would you like, like to be in heaven, right? She's probably heaven right now chilling. She's like, really, God? Like, for real? I was the one in the Bible that was called like that sinful woman. But she was known. So she was this person that had a sinful past that like people knew about her, right? You know how there's, there's people, like you know their past. You know who they hung with. You know who they slept with. You know when they were in high school, who they with and what they did and all that stuff. This is her who lived a sinful life that learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, I'm gonna give this dramaticness. If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. You know how you've got people in your life that you just need extra grace for? Just people that just their, I don't know, attitude just makes you want to punch them. But just, you got to love them so you don't. You just, I love you. This is my people right here. Those that are so enveloped in their self-righteousness that they don't see what this woman was actually doing. They were so etched in who the woman was that they never saw what she was actually doing. They were always, they, they were looking at her past instead of her present and future. Do you see that? This is a woman who was a sinner and she had come there and broken the alabaster box and put, the alabaster box and put it at the feet of Jesus. And was, she was there to repent and ask for forgiveness of her sins. I'm telling you, Pharisees, those with a Pharisaical heart, always see someone's past instead of someone's present and someone's future. Let us never be a church that only sees someone's past. Let us be a church that always says, what can God do in them? Amen. Jesus answered him, Simon. 
I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Get this quote. I believe there is a connection between how we view our sin and how much we love God and how much we love others. There's a direct, there's a direct connection with how we view our sin and how much we love God and how much we love others. This woman realized what she had been forgiven of. And here's the bottom line. If you love Jesus, like you have been forgiven. I, you know, and I don't know, you know, I don't know how your life has gone, Ben, whatever. I don't care. The Bible says we've all sinned. And if we've sinned once, we've broken every single law. Like we, we, we have all sinned. But the bottom line is, is this. She came and she repented and she said, God, I need forgiveness. And it was because of her attitude there Jesus said, because you have been forgiven of much, you're going to love much. I wonder if why we have a problem loving people is because we don't know what we've been forgiven of. Do you know, as a sinner, we were enemies of God. But now we've been brought in. Why? Because of what Jesus did on the cross in our place and for our sin. And because we've been forgiven, how can we not love and forgive people? Yeah, I know that it's difficult and it's hard, but I don't know how when we look at what we've been forgiven of and what God has loved us in spite of, how that can't not be the fuel for us to then go and love God and love others more. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 tells us this. This is Paul putting the bow on this whole love thing. He says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Faith and hope, faith and hope are great, they're awesome, but Paul says the baseline, the bottom line motive of anything that we do good, anything of faith and hope, has got to be this heart and attitude and motive of love. The divine direction of love in your choices, in God's will, are you moving towards becoming more of a person full of what is in 1 Corinthians 13? If not, I don't think it matters where you work. I don't think it matters other, like just, God, let me be more full of love. That should be your prayer. Because you can do a bunch of great stuff, but if you ain't got love, you're bankrupt. That's a, that's a tough, tough word, but it's a good word. Because ultimately, God cares more about who you are becoming more than what you're doing. The greatest of these is love.
of your sin and the goodness of God's grace. And that being the foundation that since we've gotten that love from God, it's the fuel we need to love others. Let's pray. Jesus, 
see every heart here. You see every mind here. You see every, that you see our hearts. And God, I pray for every heart here, God, that, uh, that needs your love today. I pray you speak to them. I pray you would let them know deep in their spirits, deep in your heart, that when you died on the cross 2,000 years ago, you forever declared you love us. And I pray that that love would fill their hearts. God, by your Holy Spirit, let us see what we've been forgiven of. That when we were your enemies, you forgave us and gave us hope and gave us life and served and loved us when we didn't deserve it. So in light of that, because we're forgiven, let us go and love and serve this world. Really, really quick, with every head bowed, every eye closed, you just say, John, I need this love, man talking about God's love and you've never made a decision to receive God's love that was shown by Jesus on the cross and him dying on the, cra- dying on the cross in your place and for your sin. You say, today, John, I want to receive that. I want to accept that. I want to say yes to Jesus today. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm just going to count to three. And if you say, John, I want to receive God's love today, I just want you to take your right hand, put it up. just want to know who you are so we can actually pray for you. We're not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Count three. Ready? One, two, three. Anyone here? Anyone here? Anyone here? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone here? Anyone here? Anyone here? Thank you. We're going to pray. All of us here, we're going to join in with those that, that are receiving Christ today for the very first time. If you would, everybody join in. Pray with me. Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross and showing your love. I submit to you. I thank you for doing what I couldn't. Jesus, today, I surrender to you. I receive new life in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Lifehouse fam, can we just please give it up for all those that said that prayer today for the first time? If you did say that prayer today for the first time, right after service, next steps booth right outside. If you would go out there, we want to connect with you briefly. We we simply want to give you a Bible and a few other tools as you start this brand new journey of following Christ. We are so, so pumped. And man, we know this God's love is gonna change you and transform you. Lifehouse family, my heart for this church is that we would be known not for so many other things, being cool or being in a theater or just, I would love for them to say, man, that church life house, they love. They're people that are full of love. Well, I might not agree with them on totally everything. That whole Bible thing, yeah, I'm not even a, a Bible person, but man, that church, they love. That's what ultimately matters. So, so let us individually and corporately leave this place knowing we're forgiven people and because we are forgiven people we can love because we've been loved we don't have to use people no more abuse people no more because we've had that need met so we're free to serve and love this world why because we have been loved by god amen 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 man let's give jesus a round of applause amen you can be seated briefly really really quick i would like